You don't know how much you miss those worship leaders till they're gone. <laughs> uh, the reasoners, raisiners, have it your way. <laughs> they're having their game day for the Utes at 1 p.m. 1 p.m. All right, so uh, you going to get them home when they come? No, not my concern. <laughs> uh, this morning, we're, we're going to look at the Passion Week. We're going to look at the week of Jesus, and we're going to kind of bounce around Luke 18 and forward. Uh, but uh, this is the week before Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus has been... Speaking in parables to the people, to his disciples, he's called, uh, he didn't call for it, but the mothers are beginning to bring their children to him uh, for a blessing, and Jesus would uh, bless them. And the disciples are offended by this, shows you where their heart is. And the disciples actually begin to rebuke the parents, in particular the mothers, and in Luke 18, 16, we hear Jesus say, Let the little children come to me and receive the kingdom of God like a child. We're to have a childlike acceptance of Jesus and a childlike faith. And it was important to Jesus that the children come to him and it was important to the parents of that day. And we also have Jesus that has a rich young ruler come before him. And he wants to know how to inherit eternal life. Not earn it. The rich young ruler had that down. He knew that eternal life was a gift from God. And he wanted to know how God would give eternal life. And Jesus had a message for this young ruler. And it was a hard message for him to receive. And it was, sell what you have, give to the poor. Jesus didn't want his money, you know. And you, young ruler, you come and follow me. And the rich young ruler would not do this. And he wouldn't do it because his riches got in the way. Because he was very rich. And Jesus makes a comment about that. He says, it's very difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. You know that was true in Jesus' day, and it's true today. The last thing I want to be doing is trusting in our 401k plan, trusting in insurance, money set aside for retirement. Those are all pertinent things to do, but I don't want to be trusting in those. I want to be trusting in the Lord. But we see Jesus as he nears Jerusalem. He will again speak to his disciples, and that's in verse uh, uh, ch chapter 18 of Luke. So you want to make sure you're in Luke 18, and we'll look at verses 31 through 34. 
Then he took the twelve aside, and he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, insulted, and spit upon. And they will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. This is the third occasion in which Jesus has explained to his disciples all that will come about. And Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. Jesus liked that phrase for himself. He didn't call himself a heavenly king. He did not call himself Messiah. He seldom admitted that he was God. But he preferred that Son of Man. And that gives you some insight into our Lord when you reckon, recognize what he wanted to be called. But all that the Old Testament prophets wrote about, Jesus will now tell to his disciples in an intimate setting. I kind of pictured they're around a campfire. They did make fires, and Jesus would talk to them personal about the Old Testament and about himself. And Jesus tells them, I'm going to be delivered to the Gentiles, and they're going to mock me. I'm going to be insulted, and I'm going to be spit upon. Mocking is one of those personal cardinal sins in my life. Uh, I have three sons. My oldest is about 6'5". My youngest is about 5'10". They knew wrath from dad awaited them if they dared to mock their mother or myself. That was absolutely not tolerated in my home. It's the height to me of disrespect when you mock somebody. Insults aren't real high on my list either, but I can handle insults up to a degree. And being spit upon, well, that simply means war. <laughs> you know, we're going to do battle now. And just last night, I was watching one of these TV programs where the police go in and arrest people. And they had arrested uh, a guy that was high on drugs. And they had him handcuffed. But then they put a hood over his head because he was trying to bite the police officers and spit upon them. And they, so they put a hood over his head. I go, there you go. I would do that too. I wouldn't want to be spit upon by a drug addict. But Jesus, he allows these insults. And he allows them to be inflicted upon him. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when the soldiers who came with Judas to arrest Jesus, 
They're there. Peter whips out a sword and relieves Malchus of his right ear. Now, right ear, right-handed person. The servant was probably running away when Peter got him on the right ear. That would have made it much easier. Otherwise, he's going to cross the head to get that ear. So Peter is killing a, or trying to kill a guy that's running from him. Jesus picks up the ear and puts it back on. Now, wouldn't that stop you? If you were there to arrest a guy and he picks up an ear, a bloody ear, puts it back on the guy's head and it's okay. But they're beyond themselves with their disdain and their hatred of Jesus. But verse 34, we read that the disciples understood none of these things. Jesus talks about being abused. He talks about his death and how he will rise again. But they're hidden. They're hidden from the disciples. They only remember that Jesus even said this when they are reminded at the tomb by two angels, two men in shiny garments, at the tomb of Jesus and their angels. And here's what they have to say in Luke 24, 4 through 8. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. And then the angels say, Remember. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. It took angels to refresh their memory of Jesus' words. They remember afterwards. When we do not understand uh, the dealings of God with us, when spiritual things are hidden from us, we can kind of identify with the disciples. We we kind of understand uh, what they're going through. Especially when things happen outside of, apart from, our expectations. Do you ever expect God to act in one way and he totally surprises you? How he delivers or meets your need in a totally opposite way, perhaps, than you thought he should? We can identify with the disciples when that happens. But Jesus, he's speaking very plainly. He's speaking openly. Yet there's no comprehension by the disciples. Jesus proclaims his suffering, his death, his resurrection. And it's hidden. Hidden from the disciples. Now, these are not just disciples. These are future apostles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're totally oblivious to Jesus' words. 
It's written in Scripture that we look through a glass darkly now, and we do. And we try to piece together God's Word and how it applies to our life, His promises, and what He expects out of us. And we kind of have to put it together in a bit. But Jesus is openly prophesying about Himself here, His suffering, His death, and His resurrection, and it's not understood by his disciples, regardless how plain and direct Jesus speaks. And it says the disciples understood none of these things. And so you have to ask, why? Why don't they understand? These disciples, they're not dumb men. They were ordinary Jewish men, probably a cross-section of working society there in uh, Israel, particularly Jerusalem. And they, as disciples, understood, along with the people, they, under, they didn't understand, I should say, how Messiah would come. They're looking for a conquering Messiah, not a suffering Messiah. And the Jews of today, the Orthodox Jews of today, are looking for that conquering Messiah, not a suffering Messiah. And all of Israel, including the disciples, are caught up into they want a Messiah that was like King David. They want a Messiah that would deliver them, throw off the chains of Rome, and be this glorious deliverer from the bondage of Rome. But the disciples don't stop there. They have what we would call an ongoing debate or argument among themselves. And guess what their argument's about? Who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God when he set up his kingdom? Who's going to be the top dog? <laughs> and they did not even begin to understand the meaning of God's kingdom because it was hidden from them. Now this is a one-week-away crucifixion that these disciples are going through this. Uh, it's a time of reckoning, and Jesus is doing his utmost to deliver to them what's going to come about. But something has to take place first, and that's the triumphal entry a Jewish celebration as they welcome Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Our Christian world celebrates this Sunday as Triumphal Entry Sunday. And it is a glorious event. You know the details of how Jesus entered into Jerusalem. He rode on a young donkey, uh, one that had never been sat upon. Just think about that if you know anything about animals. Here's a total untamed donkey, yet Jesus is able to 
sit on him and ride into Jerusalem. And the people are waving palm branches. They're celebrating. They're crying out Hosanna and all this. And they're actually taking off their garments, their outer garments, and laying them on the path that the donkey will walk upon. Now, put yourself in the disciples' place. You're excited. <laughs> and they are rejoicing and this is what they have been waiting for, that Jesus would be recognized for his mighty works. They realized that Jesus did mighty works, but now the people are realizing that. And the people are crying out, and I'm sure the disciples are too. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And they're excited. This is their Moment of glory. I read a book a while back that talked about why Judas betrayed Christ. And basically the book was written from the standpoint that Jesus didn't come as the conquering Messiah. And Judas, is that's what he wanted. And it kind of glorifies Judas. I don't buy that 100%. But... This celebration, this triumphal entry, upsets the Pharisees. They want to see Jesus. They even ask Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Tell them not to do this. Jesus has a reply for them. I tell you that if these people should keep silent, the stones would probably cry out. No, immediately cry out. And I want to tell them, be quiet. I want to hear the stones cry out. <laughs> I would love for that had been recorded. But in my heart and in my mind, God the Father required this celebration, this honoring of his son going into Jerusalem. The disciples are in celebration and you can almost hear them cry out, finally, Jesus, you're doing what we thought you should do all along. A triumphal entry for Jesus, a hero's welcome to Jerusalem. And this is a loud procession, a loud celebration. But as they near the gates of Jerusalem, Jesus looks at Jerusalem and he weeps over it. And that's recorded in Luke 19, 41 through 44. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come... Upon you, when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave you in, <clears throat> leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Why would Jesus weep? 
He's weeping for his people because they do not know the day of their visitation. In this time, the Jews need peace. And Jesus offers them peace, but not on their terms, on his terms. Jesus is speaking how he, as a son of God, is the path of peace. How he is the reconciliation from man to God to his father. I will reconcile you to the, to the father. Jesus is the propitiation, the only acceptable sacrifice for the atonement of our sins. Period. The only one. Jesus is the only sacrifice that God the Father recognizes. No other. No other. There are not many paths that lead to God. There is one. It's Jesus. While Israel was under the law, lambs and other animals only temporarily covered the sins of those that they were sacrificed. It was a temporary covering. You would go, you would sacrifice a lamb, and before you got home, you probably needed to sacrifice another lamb. But Jesus' sacrifice, consider this, it makes our sins null and void. And it's just as if we never sinned. Not just forgiveness, but just as if we never sinned. That is atonement. The peace that comes through Jesus and his sacrifice, and he's going to die on the cross, it is hidden from the people's eyes, also the disciples. You would think the disciples would have a clue what's going to go on, but they didn't. Jerusalem, Jesus foretells its future. You will be destroyed, trampled to the ground, and not one stone left upon another, and this applies to the temple also. And why? Why, why would Jesus say that? Because their hard, unbelieving hearts could not accept the truth of the Son of God. And he's talking to them and telling them what's going to come about. But they did not realize their time of visitation. Jesus said of his time, he says, my hour has not come, my hour has not come. Then Jesus says, my hour has come. It was the perfect time for the Son of Man to be crucified. And before this week is over, these same people will be crying out, the ones that are welcoming him, throwing their coats on the donkey's path and everything, they're going to be crying out, crucify him. Crucify him, kill him. To me, that shows the, the fickleness of mankind. We live in a society today 
that attempts to make its own rules of how to have peace with God, which usually involves how to live at peace with yourself, accept your flaws, accept your sins, accept that you're uh, fallible. And that is all a part instead of Jesus, our sacrifice. Our Son of God who died for us is the only path to peace with God the Father. We live today in an age what we call the age of grace or a dispensation of grace. In reality, it's a time when God, through Jesus, makes peace with him, the Father, readily available. We don't, I don't think we appreciate the day that we live in. We live in an age of grace. But you know, we, by the hardness of our hearts, can slide into, begin to think, I can pick and choose when I will accept God's love or when I will accept his son as my savior, when I will accept his love towards me. And there's a tremendous danger in that thinking that I can approach God and his abundant grace on my timetable. Perhaps when it's more convenient. The city of Jerusalem was completely destroyed along with the Jewish temple. And Jesus said, it's because my own people, Jewish people, did not know what made for their peace. What a condemnation. And it was the hardness of their hearts that causes God's sacrifice of his son to be hidden from them. There's great danger in a hard heart. There's great danger in a person working out their own salvation apart from Jesus. We can be dead serious about the things we believe, but they can be dead wrong also. God has offered us a path to have peace with him, and it's through his son. Here we are, though. We're in Easter season, 2018. My desire is that all believers understand what gives us God's peace. If you haven't been born again, you have no peace with God. And once you've been born again, which I think I'm talking to here, you have no peace till you make Jesus Lord. He can be Savior without being Lord. Allow him to be Lord of your life. And that will give you opportunities for peace with God through his Son. And by the way, that's the only, it is the singular path to peace is through Jesus.
It's that simple. Do not allow the peace from God to be hidden from you in this Easter season. Today is the day of salvation. And I believe I'm speaking to a believing crowd. I, I, know, I know most of you and I know most of you are saved. But don't let God's peace be hidden from you the way that it's hidden from the world. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand and close in prayer. Now, if you would like prayer, we'll have people in the prayer area that would be more than delighted to pray with you. But let this Easter season, this resurrection season, let it have an impact upon your hearts and souls. Amen? Amen. Father God, we thank you for making a way of peace with yourself through your Son. And Lord, we, we can't begin to understand how your heart must have broke to see your Son sacrificed for us. But your love for us is so great, so overwhelming, that you made a way for us to have peace with you, but it cost you your son being sacrificed for our sins. May we accept that. May we apply that to our hearts and lives. May it be part of us, Lord, this appreciation of Jesus and the power that he had and you had over the grave to raise him from the dead. We thank you for that. May that truth be real in our hearts and lives. May we share that with others that need your peace, that look for your peace, and they look in all the wrong areas, Lord. And may we, may we just be bold in our witness of you and all those around us. So, Lord, our prayer is that as your people, we would enjoy the peace that comes through Jesus. And we pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.